welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Hey, welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. We're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through really challenging times on some important issues. And my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I serve as a professor and dean at Wheaton. We're excited to have today Kristen Padilla. And uh, we actually have a couple things in common we'll talk about, but she has an MDiv from Beeson Divinity School. I have a degree from Beeson Divinity School, so we're both Beesonites. I don't even know. Is it Beesonite? Is that what we say? Or what do we say? Be- That's what I say. That's yeah. what I say, Beesonites. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in Birmingham, Alabama, she serves as Beeson's uh, Marketing and Communications Director. In 2021, she launched the Center for Women in Ministry at Beeson. And she's uh, author of Now That I'm Called, A Guide for Women Discerning a Call to Ministry. And uh, But let me just say, before we get into the interview, the conversation, if you're enjoying our interviews, can I just ask you to leave a review? It helps us get the word out. The podcast is free. Other people can subscribe wherever you... Uh, if you like the podcast, I should say, leave a review. If you don't like the podcast, email a friend and tell them why you don't like it and don't listen anymore. But if you like it, leave a review as well. So, Kristen, good to see you again. Good to see you, Ed. I think the last time I saw you was on Sanford's campus pre-COVID. Yeah, back in the day, I was down there for uh, <laughs> chapel and and uh, love love Beeson Divinity School. My doctor of ministry at Beeson is one of the reasons we've recently launched a doctor of ministry at Wheaton because it was such mm-hmm. a good experience for me. Um, you know, Timothy George, now the former uh, dean, but still there, engaged and involved. I mean, we would have lunch, and I learned so much. He was my theological mentor. Anyway, you don't want to get me all verklempt talking about uh, <laughs> Beeson Divinity School, because it was a real blessing to me. Um, but you are now serving in roles there, multiple roles there, but particularly the Center for Women in Ministry. You wrote, Now That I'm Called... Uh, a, gu- a guide for women discerning a call to ministry, which I don't know if I endorsed or not, but I I, t- I tell people about it. I like, I really well, thank like it. You. Um, so it's good stuff. Um, so let's talk. So one of the things that we see, one of one of the team, my team members here, her name is uh, Dr. Heather Matthews. She's uh, leads out in our demon program, and she wrote her dissertation on um, women leaders in egalitarian churches. Um, people have, and we're going to talk some about different views that people have. But kind of walk through your own journey a little bit. How were you raised to think about women in ministry? And then let's talk about where you are now. But let's walk through your journey a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I really wasn't um, raised in a in a um, how do I say this in a way in which to think about women in ministry. I, I grew up as a daughter of a Baptist pastor, an SBC pastor, mm-hmm. and we uh, were in East Texas and eventually in Arkansas. So my dad pastored small tr- churches. Um, and I, so I was raised in ministry, raised in the church. And uh, so nothing was necessarily said about what women could or could not do. Uh, but my lived experience showed no women in ministry on a church staff um, in the various ways that we were involved in denominational ministry as well. The only two women that I knew about who did any sort of ministry were Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. And of course, as you know, Ed, um, these two women um, were just amazing missionaries, uh, but they were dead by the time I uh, came came to learn about them. So I, I really didn't have any living female role models in ministry. And yet the ministry that was modeled for me 
was my dad's, my dad's pastoral ministry. Um, my, and I write this in the book, but my parents, uh, really remember this even better than me, but around the age of seven or eight, I cried, um, you know, one night that why didn't God make me a boy so I could be a preacher? So again, I think I was, you know, you, you look back and you can kind of realize these things, but I was trying to figure out to navigate, okay, what do I do with my gender as it relates to serving the Lord? And especially as I uh, grew in discipleship, I just had a love for God's word in the church. Um, eventually I, um, uh, expressed a call to ministry. Uh, and I don't know if this is still true today in the SBC, but at least back then, uh, you would come forward with the, um, you would walk the aisle to tell the church that you felt called to ministry. And I finally did that at age 15 after, um, several years of really wrestling with, is this a real call? Because again, what would I do with it? You know, what, what does this look like for me? Um, my parents were very supportive of God's, um, God's work in my life, uh, even if it meant that I could not see uh, how it would all work out. And so when I came forward, I remember people in my church coming up to congratulate me, and they hmm. said, I guess this means, because they too were trying to figure this out, um, I guess this means you're going to marry a pastor. Hmm. That was option number one. Option number two was, I guess this means you're going to be the next Beth Moore. And I know you're friends with Beth, but I <laughs> yes, just sir. remember thinking like, well, how does one become the next Beth Moore? <laughs> you know, A lot of people have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> right. What is the... What does that path look like? Yeah. Um, and I'm Kristen, not Beth. And yep. so uh, I say that to say that um, that was a, a large reason why I wrote my book um, many years later, because growing up in kind of a low church uh, uh, denomination, uh, we didn't have discernment committees. We uh, th There's just no kind of answers for here's here are the various ways in which you can serve the Lord as a, as a woman and get paid for it and make a living for it. Um, so that was my, my background. And even I think if I had not had parents who uh, were not just supportive generally, but really um, uh, push me toward faithfulness, even though I could not see what that would look like. I don't, if I had not had them, I don't know that I would have pursued kind of any formal ministry leadership role. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that there weren't a lot of options or paths. And of course, now you're at Beeson Divinity School. Beeson Divinity School, like Wheaton College Graduate School, you'll have people who are both egalitarians and complementarians. Uh, and we enthusiastically train um, men and women, but in this case, we're talking about women in whatever call that God has on their lives. So that's uh, Beeson and, and Wheaton, and, and pretty much most, you know, outside of denominational tradition, seminaries are, the, well, actually, even sometimes inside denominational traditions, uh, they might hold a view, but they'll, they train who comes. So, yeah. uh, so, you know, we actually have 60% um, of our graduate school, our master's degree program is women. So it's the highest mm. of any uh, evangelical uh, school to our knowledge. So we, we've looked at, you know, Fuller and Asbury, some of the places where you might expect. And um, and so so we've kind of walked through that we're walking with enthusiasm, but some of the women students come to us and say, but that's not what I experience in my church context. So you came in this context where you, 
there wasn't necessarily a path for you. And one of the things I found interesting about the book, I read the book, it's 2018. So I read the book. I, d- I didn't endorse it. I looked. You didn't ask me to. I would have, but you didn't ask me to. <laughs> On um, my next one. <laughs> that's oh, no worries. Timothy George did. Michael Byrd did. Some uh, Paul House did. I mean, you got a great uh, Courtney Trotter and others. Um, so, so how one of the things I want you to kind of explain a little bit is how you deal with the fact that, um, for example, two out of three women who regularly attend church in the United States uh, attend churches that don't ordain women. So two out of three women who regularly attend church in the United States attend churches that don't ordain women. Um, so the paths seem to be different. Um, so how do you navigate some of Because you're at Beeson, like at Wheaton, we have people come from different traditions. How do you personally deal with complementarian and egalitarian questions and how how would you encourage church leaders to to deal with some of those issues? Yeah. Um, well, I think everyone has to, at some point, really wrestle with um, these questions, um, specifically the various biblical texts. Um, I will say that, and I have to be careful with generalizations because, yeah. of course, they're not always true sure. or always helpful. But generally speaking, you know, people that um, I come in contact with, maybe they've inherited a view or they just grew up in a church with a view and they have not really um, wrestled with the questions or talked to someone who or read a book um, who uh, has a different view. And then I would also say there are some really um, important theological questions that the church needs to be asking. So, you know, I grew up as a default complementarian. I didn't know any other um, view. And it wasn't that it was ever taught explicitly. It was just my lived experience. Um, it was not until I went to Washtenaw Baptist University and I was in a Christian theology class. And in that class, we were each, uh, we were paired up. And then in the pairs, we were each assigned a debate and a different view that we were to debate this classmate. And so I was assigned the egalitarian view. And so I remember reading the two views on women in ministry um, edited by Zondervan. And I remember reading the egalitarian view and thinking, I'm a complementarian. I don't know how to argue for this view. Um, But, you know, as it for my own personal journey, um, it didn't really matter where I necessarily fell in that uh, debate. Um, I knew if I was going to be in ministry, I felt a very strong conviction that I needed to be theologically trained. Mm -hmm. Um, God's word, I believed and still believe today. um, If I'm going to teach it, um, even to women, (laughs) I need to be an astute um, uh, teacher. I need to do the same training that men are doing. in preparation for ministry. And I also wanted to be taken seriously in ministry. And I remember my dad telling me, um, he went to um, a Southern Baptist seminary and he said, Kristen, I don't want you to go to the seminary because I don't want you to waste your time or be distracted, always answering the question, why are you here? I want you to go to a seminary where you're just there to learn. And I really appreciated that. And so God led me to Beeson Divinity School, which, as you said, is like Wheaton in many ways, um, evangelical um, in the truly historical sense of the word, interdenominational. um, We hold to the Apostles' Creed. um, We agree to disagree on uh, secondary issues. And so... 
I found uh, that being in an environment like Beeson uh, was not only encouraging to me, but it also made me very optimistic as to how the church could have these conversations. And really, I mean, I know you've mentioned Timothy George, but I I thank him for that. Um, You know, with his work with evangelicals and Catholics together. Um, he's modeled how we can have uh, unity and charity. I should I should disclose that I'm not a signer of ECT, so but I understand that what he's done. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But that that kind of model of having um, t- showing uh, charity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that kind of model uh, has really penetrated through uh, the community and the ethos here, you know, yeah. a community of love. Yeah. And so that has, I think, uh, made me more optimistic about how to have these conversations. So how to navigate them. I think the first thing that we have to do is to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what does it mean to love one another? And I don't find, I mentioned this to you before we started, I don't find labels more often than not helpful. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes they can s- stop the conversation before starting. And um, when you're coming together saying, you know what, we want to be faithful to the Lord. We want to um, be obedient to his word. We want to serve him. Okay, let's let's examine this together. Um I think that kind of posture of humility and charity uh, really can help uh, move the conversation forward. Well, Kristen, that charity is not what we see a lot in discussions about gender roles in ministry. It's just not. I mean, it's you got people. I, I wish it was more. You know, and and I, you know, I, I serve here at Wheaton. Um, you know, I do see. You know, I, I, I teach at Southeastern Seminary some, and I see some of that there. Um, but what I generally see is people yelling at each other and in the process, not maybe asking the greater question, which I I think could be how in whatever your denominational or theological view, do you raise up women for ministry and leadership? Because I think that we should all agree. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be uh, a strong, vigorous, dialogue about these issues. But what I am saying, what I, one of the things I really found helpful in, in, in your book is, uh, and what you're doing at Beeson and, and you know, what we're seeking to do here at Wheaton is um, this is an area where Christians do disagree and not all of them are, you know, on the one side, just disregarding scripture or on the other hand, just, you know, misogynists. Now I do think I, I was, I was quoted in, uh, uh, I was quoted in Jesus and John Wayne, I was reading through the book and, and there I see, as Ed Stetzer, and oh, and so, um, but it's because I, I did tweet once that the Venn diagram of uh, reformed, complementarian, and misogynist—I don't remember exact words—often overlaps. And so I saw this when I wrote an article referencing to people and their comments about Beth Moore. Um, and so I think we can call out that. But I think, and maybe I'm crazy, but I do think there's a place to say, you know, some Christians come to different ideas on how best to live this out. And, but we all want to ask the question, how do we raise up, uh, educate, give opportunity, um, and deploy women leaders? Um, so how, how do you, cause that's not what a lot of people say. A lot of people want to, you know, we want to wrestle it down to the, we got to agree to do some of those things. That's not the path you've taken. Why? Uh, I don't find it helpful. 
Um, okay. I, I think instead of starting the conversation at where do we disagree and what women shouldn't do, we need to start the conversation with uh, what does it mean for women who are created in God's image, who are redeemed uh, by Jesus Christ, who are born again in the word of God, who is Jesus, who is given his spirit, who share in the same baptism, the same faith, the same Lord. Um, what does it look like then for women to serve the Lord and for men and women to serve together? And, you know, as we read through scripture, we see that beauty of men and women serving together. And I love in Micah, God says to uh, the people of Israel, don't you remember? I sent uh, before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You know, she's there too, leading the people with her brothers. Um, she's there singing the song. Um, and so there's a lot of examples of men and women serving side by side, um, pointing to the Lord, proclaiming his word. Um, and sometimes I think that the debates uh, take our distraction from how can we live out this vision in our churches and how can we have a greater imagination for how this might look in our churches and why does it matter in our churches? Why do we need, or why should we have theologically trained women in uh, ministry positions on church staffs? Why is it that when the men leave the room and we have women and children, are we, um, all of a sudden, not caring, so to speak, who's teaching them or what kind of um, training they have. Uh, so I think there are questions like that that can be addressed um, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. Um, so I would love to see my vision is that how can we better equip men and women uh, to serve him, to take the gospel forth? And so that's where I find at Beeson, um, and again, my optimism, is that that's where a lot of our conversations are starting. And, and uh, we're really kind of guided by that framework. Sure. Um, how can we sure. have this greater theological vision for men and women serving together in the church in a healthy, vibrant, thriving um, yeah. uh, culture? Okay, I'm hearing voices in my head. I'm hearing Lynn Coick's voice in my head. So Lynn Coick was a colleague. We had a podcast together called Theology for Life uh, before, before I did this podcast. And she's now leading, uh, she's provost at Northern. She's a dear friend. Um, and she would say, um, well, we need to because um, theological restrictions on women limit their opportunities for ministry, uh, hinder the mission of God, and more. She would be an egalitarian. And then I hear people in my head saying on the other side, well, you just said, well, let's not worry about these things. Well, I mean, if we don't worry about these things, what else do we not worry about? So, I mean, help me. I want to come back to this because I'm you, you in your in, in the book. And again, just to remind people uh, that the book is now that I'm called a guide for women discerning a call to ministry. How would you answer Lynn uh, that there's a maybe a justice issue here that we, we were wrongly interpreting scripture? How would you answer on the, uh, and again, Lynn works in places that has complementarians and egalitarians. Um, how would you answer a complementarian who says, well, if you don't care about what the Bible says about that, not what you said, but I'm saying that's what they would say. So answer those, and then let's kind of dive more into the path forward. So address those things. Yeah. Um, we don't have enough time. But, right. It's true. It's true. Uh, uh, but I would, yeah. So women are discipling women in the church. And whether we like it or not, they're writing books, they're speaking at conferences, they're uh, 
on podcast, they're writing hymns, they are discipling the women in your church. So, you know, to kind of answer, I guess, Lynn's point, uh, we we can't just say, okay, because women can't be senior pastors, let's just say, that now we've we we've done our job and we're biblical. Uh, no, the, the fact of the matter is, is that your women are being discipled. Who is discipling them? And why it doesn't matter that your women receive um, teaching and teachers who are just as um, spiritually gifted, called, adequately, adequately um, trained uh, for the task. Well, it's because if they're being discipled or receiving teaching that is not according to God's word, it's affecting their marriages the way their homes, their workplaces. So we can't just sit back and think, well, as long as we keep women out of this position or from doing this, uh, we're biblical. (laughs) Um, And then uh, on the other hand, though, yes, I I do think I, I do think it matters. I think these conversations do matter because we want to be biblical. We want to be faithful. But it's not just uh First Timothy is not the only passage in the Bible, right? So we need to put our interpretations of Scripture to the test. Test them against the rest of Scripture. Um, put Scripture in conversation with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, if I take a certain interpretation of First Timothy 2, but then I have all of these examples of God using women in Scripture, speaking through them, they're leading. In fact, I mean, we have the word of God through the mouths of women. You know, I hope you're teaching on uh, the Magnificat and Hannah's song in your te- in your sermons. God wanted to reveal something about himself through these women. And so we need to be attuned to that. So then what does it look like? Okay, for example, if we see all these examples of women serving as co-workers in ministry, uh, teaching, uh having a prophetic ministry in scripture. And then we get to the worship service at our church and there are no women participating in any kind of leadership role in the service. I I had this moment, Ed, um, not long ago when I realized that everything mitigated in a worship service was through men. Hmm. So I actually was not receiving a complimentary <laughs> vision in the church service. Every part of the worship service uh, was through men. Now, I love men, and that's not a bad thing, but the problem is, is that I, I was missing something. I was missing, uh, uh, I was missing the ministry of women. And so is it biblical if in our churches we don't have spiritual mothers? Um, so I think when we think about what does it mean to be biblical, we have to, uh, yes, ask that of 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians, but we need to ask of it of all of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think on both sides, it's very easy to get in our echo chambers. We need to be having conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to continue to sharpen us and challenge us. And again, I go back to for the gospel, for the health of the church. I think you're going to find that some people are going to be Holding their phone, saying, "But what? And this? And I wish she said. And and because again, you. <laughs> Me you're too. Walking, I wish I said. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's all good. Um, but uh, because I think people have strong views on this, but you've kind of walked a path. Um, and again, mm-hmm. we we've had people with different views on the podcast. You know, I, again, I work at an institution where where people can have those different views. Um, but 
you've walked a path where you know you launched the Center for Women in Ministry that not not everybody will say, but the vast majority of people and the vast vast majority of people listening to Stetzer Church Leader's podcast would say we want to see women in ministry leadership. Um, they might talk about it might be different. You know, the LCMS Lutherans are going to have a different view than the Assemblies of God Pentecostals are listening, and we love all of them. Um, so, so what then challenges? Uh, needs and challenges do you see uh, for women who are called to ministry, and what are they? What are the challenges they're facing? And because you started the center to help with that, so you can tie that in with the center too. Because I, I want to, you know, I'm for you. So why is there a need for a center for women in ministry? So two parts: what needs and challenges do you see women who are called to ministry facing, and why is there a need for a center for women in ministry? I love those questions. So um, I will say, just to reiterate, that Beeson has both complementarian and egalitarian uh, constituents, students, faculty members. So like the same, school, same as Wheaton, yep. Yeah. So we're so the center in and of itself doesn't take a stand. Like we we have this specific view. Our job is to um, help this school fulfill its mission specifically for women. So we accept women into our programs. And then here gets the, your question about needs and challenges. Frankly, placement, jobs, that's yeah. the number one need for women and call to ministry. Um, many churches, not all, but many churches have um, structures, jobs that have been in place for years. And uh, perhaps there's a lack of creativity for positions that women can fill, right? So women want to serve the Lord. They're looking for places to do it. Um, with placement are jobs um, that the, and I have found this a lot, Ed, where theological education, a seminary education is not even a, it's not a requirement. It's not a preferred qualification. And in fact, it may harm you. It may, uh, I don't know, raise a flag for the church, or maybe they have to pay you more. So um, when there are jobs, a seminary degree may not even really help you with the job. Yeah. Um, other needs are, you know, financial resources, uh, seminary uh, tuition. Uh, uh, if they are, if you have women on a church staff, often they may be the only female full-time member on a church staff. Um, perhaps they're not offered sabbaticals. Perhaps they're not offered full-time pay. Um, there are fewer networks or peer groups or conferences for not just women, Christian women, but women in ministry roles in a church specifically. Right. There's just fewer of those, um, fewer book resources, and there's just all kinds of challenges like childcare, um, how to talk to your pastor about maternity leave, Um so some HR issues as well. Um, so, so what we want to do is with the center is to identify those challenges to, um, in order to help women thrive in ministry for the sake of the church. Again, I believe that when you have churches that have men and women on staff who are trained, called, uh, gifted for the task, and they're given the resources that they need, then it's going to trickle down is going to affect the church positively. Um, so that's that's what we're trying to address at the center. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I'm, I would be intrigued to, because I mean, one of the questions that some will have is, do I send, uh, like your dad suggested that you go to Beeson? Um, but there's also, too, I, I, we mentioned Lynn Coick earlier, so I texted her in our conversation. And so Northern is pretty much all egalitarian. 
And Fuller's that way too. I don't think you can teach at Fuller unless you're an egalitarian. Um, so why not go to an institution that is convictionally egalitarian? Uh, I think I think I, I'm not sure about Asbury, but I know Asbury would be would be strongly egalitarian. I don't know if there's any complementarian faculty. So so why not go to something less like Beeson or or even Wheaton, where those are both positions that people can hold, and something where a woman is going to be particularly affirmed. Or if you're a complementarian woman, why not go to um, you know a, a, a PCA seminary or an SBC seminary or something like that? And and again, maybe the answer is your answer might be different than the answer you give others. But tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, if you are a PCA woman or um, a Southern Baptist woman, uh, any kind of maybe Reformed uh, woman. Uh, you're not going to probably even go to an egalitarian seminary, um, perhaps point. because you yourself are not egalitarian and right. you're not going to be serving in egalitarian spaces. So maybe why not go to a complementarian seminary? Uh, well, let me say positively for a place like Beeson, uh, and, and I don't know how this is at all kind of complementarian uh, seminaries with their MDiv programs, but Beeson requires all MDiv students to take preaching. Sure. So uh, we have PCA female students right now, SBC mm -hmm. female students. They're, they're probably uh, never going to be in a position where they're ordained preaching on a Sunday morning um, in a senior pastor role but they are finding great value in this class. Why? Well, because preaching uh, that skill um, helps you with teaching. It helps yeah. you with communicating God's word. Um, so women here are expected to take everything that the men are in the same degree program. Um, we have women faculty. And then with the center, uh, we're providing just a lot of resources that we're hoping will help women uh, be successful in ministry. Um, like I said this before, but, you know, there is this, this I think, seminaries, uh, complementarian, egalitarian seminaries have, have, have an ethical kind of <laughs> situation. We're accepting their tuition dollars. We're training you. And then we're going to let you go out, you know. Good luck out there. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, and yeah. so what B said, I'm so grateful to be at an institution that says we want to help every member to the best of our ability um, thrive in ministry. And if you come here and you're PCA, we're going to try to help you thrive as someone in the PCA. If you come here as Anglican, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I love, I love, I love that your concern for your students includes beyond their graduation. You know, we, our program, we have a program that's kind of quadrupled in size in the last three or four years. Uh, so now all the students are starting to graduate, and we want to make sure that that we help them with all those opportunities that they they can find. Um, so, okay, so the Center for Women in Ministry, that's part of what you're doing at Beeson. Uh, help, our audience is going to be those pastors and church leaders. So come to pastors and church leaders, and what can churches do to support women in ministry? And I think part of it could be to send them to Beeson. If they can't get to Wheaton, they can go to Beeson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have um, an MDiv program, right? I don't know. Yeah, we don't have does. an MDiv program. That's true. You guys, yeah. we have an MA program. So, um, but, you know, and again, our MA, MA program is generally for people who are, they don't move here. It's more modular courses. Um, but so one of the options is to, and I was blessed to be able to go to Beeson as well. But think in terms of like, in addition to sending them to a good seminary like like Beeson or, or or like what we do at our Wheaton Graduate School here, what can churches do to support women 
uh, leaders and eventually women in uh, vocational ministry as well? First, I would encourage churches to really wrestle with, write down, articulate a theological vision for both ministers and ministry and women and make it clear. I think a lot of churches that I've encountered just haven't done that. And so by doing that, uh, actually, I think the process would be really helpful probably for your pastoral team uh, and then eventually for your members. But I, you know, I hear from women who, when the church does not communicate clearly what it believes, it can actually be hurtful for women. Um, So whatever it is, I think having a theological vision um, is number one. Um, I would identify ways women can serve within your ecclesial structure and context and then use their gifts and um, allow them to bear witness to the word who is Jesus Christ. Um, So that may take some imagination and some creativity. Uh, you know, maybe maybe creating jobs uh, for women in ministry that isn't just children's ministry or women's ministry. Um, have disciple ministers, evangelists on staff, uh, hire someone to do spiritual formation or have a counselor. I think having um, creativity in the kinds of ministry positions that we offer uh, women um, having and that would may take having a theologically informed strategic vision for your church. Um in your church staff. I would also suggest reviewing HR policies, your job descriptions, and pay scales for women. Uh, One thing that I have encountered uh, from churches who have reached out to me about wanting to hire women, especially to work with other women, um, I can think of several recent examples, Ed, but they have said, we want an older woman with life experience. And yet the men on staff at these particular churches that I'm, are coming to mind are all young in their thirties <laughs> without life experience. So, you know, for the woman, we value life experience, but not theological education. Um, but for the men, it's something different. Why is that? What is it that we're expecting of our female ministers and the women in our church? Um, so that that's just another question to put to mind. Here's another one. Consider the tax benefits. So for churches that won't ordain women, uh, that means then that your women cannot um, uh, have the tax benefits that your male mi- ministers can, but if you're licensed let me just ministry, because because of ordination, so the ordination, ordi- right. right? But I believe, right. and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ed. If you're licensed to no, ministry, that's correct. License still applies. Yeah. So yeah. perhaps just consider, you know, is there any reason why we can't license the women to ministry so that they can receive tax benefits? Um, they're doing the same job that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Think about uh, the job title. That's a big one. Um, why why is she getting this job title when the job description <laughs> says something else? Um, and job titles, I mean, it says what you value and how you perceive the woman on staff. Um, and then finally, I would just mention two others, Ed. Um, one, when you have women come to you, and if you're a church leader who says, you know, I think God's calling me to ministry, put together a discernment committee, mm-hmm. put people around her who can pray with her, talk with her, help her think through the process, who would really care for her, um, who would shepherd her. 
and then provide financial support for her to go to seminary. Uh, maybe that's buying her books every semester. Maybe that's uh, putting, you know, together a scholarship for both your men and women who are going to seminary. You know, I'm always happy to talk to church leaders. We want to serve men and women through the center. And um, I'm happy to be a consultant and talk through some of these things uh, one-on-one if, if needed. Yeah, so, and we'll have in the show notes, if people go to the, uh, the podcast site, it's uh, churchleaders.com slash podcast. We'll have uh, information uh, about Kristen. You can connect with her as well. This is super helpful and super practical. And we're going a little bit long because I want to, and it's my podcast. <laughs> so, um, so um, the, um, you know, talk to just what you talk. We talked to churches. Uh, now, talk a moment to uh, women listeners who, uh, my, our audience is disproportionately men because uh, pastors and staff are disproportionately men. We know that to be the case. Um, but maybe you're listening and you've shared this with somebody, and so uh, maybe with a woman leader in your church or more. Um, so speak to them. Can you offer advice as the next steps they can take as women leaders interested in ministry uh, leadership that they could take, in addition to, might I add, enrolling in the uh, either the Beeson Divinity School or the Wheaton College School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership. Uh, so what advice would you give them? Because some of them might be just the very early stages. Mm-hmm. That's, yes, enroll in seminary or either of our programs, right? <laughs> either of our programs. And maybe we love Lynn Coick, too. So Lynn Coick's yes. program, too. So Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I told saying, I told her we were talking about her on the podcast, so now now I've got to make sure that we say nice things about <laughs> well, her. Well, Lynn is on our advisory board, and awesome. I I'm so grateful for her support. She's like everywhere. She's like on the board of Biola now. She's on your advisory board, Lynn Coick. Everywhere we love Lynn Coick. All right, moving on. Yes. She left Wheaton though. That's the part we had a podcast anyway. I'm moving on. So, um, well, I would say find prayer partners. Ask people to pray with you for you. Ask your church about putting uh, together some kind of discernment uh, group who can pray with you. Um, ask the questions as as it relates to obedience and faithfulness. What is, what is God asking me to do? And what does it look like to be obedient and faithful to him? Um, and that's something that is between you and the Lord. And he is faithful and he will, uh, I believe, lead you in, in the way that you should go. Um, pay attention to your spiritual gifts, your passions, what gives you energy versus what tires you out. (laughs) And these are things that I think you can discern as you continue to um, volunteer in the church and be involved and look for opportunities to um, teach, to try out various types of ministry. Um, Be involved in your local church, uh, find mentors. And then I would just say, Ed, you know, be humble, listen, learn. (laughs) Really that kind of humble posture with uh, hands open uh, and asking the Lord to really guide you. uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. Love it. We've uh, had a conversation today with Kristen Padilla. You can learn more about Kristen at her website. It's Kristen R, like the letter R in the middle, Kristen R, Padilla, P-A-D-I-L-L-A.com. Uh, be sure to check out her book, which, again, I found super helpful, and I've recommended to lots mm-hmm. of folks. It's called Now That I'm Called, A Guide for Women Discerning a Call to Ministry, and she's at the Center for Women in Ministry at Beeson Divinity School, which we are both graduates of and uh, and really appreciate the ministry there. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. 
Um, we were talking about Beth Moore earlier. We had a podcast where we discussed some of this with Beth. You might want to check that out as well. Lots of lots of podcasts that would be helpful for you. Actually, in the podcast with Christine Kane, she talks some about why she enrolled uh, here at the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership at Wheaton to sharpen her own uh, theological and ministry skills. Um, and again, if you found our conversation helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.